Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you joined us today. It is a gloomy day, but it is a beautiful day in my mind because I love a good rainy day. I know a lot of people have taken advantage and they're watching us from home uh, in their pajamas in the bed. We're honored that you came uh, and you are here in attendance in person. We want to invite those who are watching us uh, on Facebook Live to take just a moment. Comment who you are in the comment section. Let us know who you are. Say something to us. But more importantly, take time to share this from our page to your page because, again, one of the things that I say each week is it just multiplies the people that are exposed to our message today. So, again, we're not talking about money. We're not talking about finances. We have moved on. I said it last week, and I told the first service, I said, it's always interesting to me whenever I do a series on money, finances, or tithing, by the end of that series, nobody is at church because, again, nobody wants to hear what they need to hear. And, again, it's just what we all need to know and what we need to know that the Bible says about our finances, about our money, and about tithing and how important that is to our faith and our walk with God. So, again, we're moving on today. It's a brand new series, and this series is probably going to last about four weeks. Uh, again, I want you to join us online if you're going to be gone next weekend or possibly the next because, we got, again, we know we have fall break officially started for some people in the school systems this weekend. Uh, it will extend for some over the next two weekends, so we know people will be coming and going. And if you're going to be on the road, if you're going to be in Florida, if you're going to be going somewhere with your family, we encourage you to do that. Be safe. Uh, observe the safety protocols wherever you are as it relates to COVID and COVID-19. But again, also know that when you're there, you can join us right here at 10 o'clock uh, Central Standard Time online. Like I said, today's a new series. Uh, it's a brand new series, and it will go the next four weeks. You know, one of the things I started to notice was uh, in, on social media, uh, in podcasts, on the news, in uh, different sources, it's amazing how people have their opinion of what a life lesson is. Uh, all of the times in various media outlets, people want to tell us their opinion of what a life lesson is. And the more I started to read and the more I started to hear people telling me about what life lessons I could learn from them, it, it, it actually made me think that, that one of the people who had a lot to say about life was Jesus. And what's interesting about the things that Jesus said about life was most of the things that Jesus said about living a life and living our life was really a, a, a statement, or when he would say it, it would be something that would, that would kind of go against the wind. It would go against the grain. It, it was countercultural. I mean, think about some of the things that Jesus said. Jesus actually was the one that said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you that if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, then turn the left cheek to them also. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye when you actually have a log in your own eye. Now, those are just a few of the things that Jesus said. And, and he said those in what most of us have heard referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And we find the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7. But here's the thing. There are actually other things that Jesus said. And it's like all of those things were, were, were like I alluded to just a moment ago. They were countercultural. They were things that went against the culture of his day. They still go against our culture. They were things that would go against the wind. And those things are actually found in the opening statement or segment of the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually something that we call the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now, here's the thing. I mean, I've been around the church, and I'm familiar with the Beatitudes. I'm familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. But here's the thing. The thing about familiarity 
is that when you're with, uh, familiar with something, it, just being familiar with something can be both good and it can be bad. Again, here's the thing. When you, when you think about something that you're very familiar with, it's good because, you know, you know about it. You, you've understood it. You've taken the time to listen or to hear or to listen to somebody teach or you've read a book about it. You're very familiar with it, so you know about it. The bad thing about being familiar with things is that you think you know everything. And, and when somebody starts talking about something because you're so familiar with it, you don't think there's anything for you to learn because you already know everything. See, when, when you think about this, this Jesus thing, I said this to the, to the, to the first service. The, the thing about this, this whole Jesus life and this whole Jesus thing, so, some of you in this room are kind of new to the Jesus thing. Some of those watching us online, enjoying us online, they're, they're kind of just, you know, dipping their toe into the whole Jesus thing. They're, they're not really sure about it. So, some of you maybe are trying the Jesus thing again. Some of you really don't know anything about faith, and, and maybe this is your first time at church, at Crossroads. Maybe it's the first time you've joined or you've listened online. And if that's the case, then here's the thing I want to say to you. These things that Jesus are about to say are, are revolutionary. They're revolutionary for you and for your life. Because what Jesus does is, is Jesus teaches that instead of living your life and just going with the flow, you need to do something different. You need to turn around and you need to go against the wind. Because when you turn around and the wind is in your face, that's what Jesus wants us to understand. When you go against the culture, that's where life is found. Last weekend, we had a party in our family. Uh, and, and again, it was one of these parties now. There were, there were no masks. There were no social distancing. I mean, it was, just a, it was just a normal party. It was a birthday party for one of the people, one of the, one of the grandkids in our family. And it was just, it was just a normal party. And, and one of the things that I've discovered is that when you're planning a party, there are two different things that you have to think about. You have to think about what's the party going to look like. And you also have to think then who's going to be invited to the party so that they can attend. I mean, again, what we think about a party, we think about what, what's the party going to look like? What's the theme of the party going to look like? Well, last week, because it was for one of our grandchildren, the theme of the party was dinosaurs. Dinosaur napkins, dinosaur plates. We had dinosaurs around on different things. We actually had a live dinosaur actually attend the party in person. And you can imagine how that went with a two-year-old, a live dinosaur. It was not pretty, even though the two-year-old likes dinosaurs. So we had to think about what's the, what's the party going to look like? I mean, and then we also had to think about, well, what are we going to have? Well, what's the food that's going to be served? Well, of course, you're going to have cake and you're going to have ice cream and you're going to have drinks. But we also decided, you know, what else are we going to have? And we decided, you know what, we'll make it pretty simple. We want to get those who are there kind of served and served quickly. So we decided that we would have pizza. So that, that's what we thought about. Then there was the decision about who. Who's going to be invited to the party? Because, again, we were trying to be careful. We weren't just being, you know, willy-nilly about this whole COVID-19. We, we wanted to be careful, so we made sure that we invited certain people. Certain people were going to be invited. Select people that we decided were going to be invited. Because that's just the way we wanted the party to be. Now, here's the thing. In Jesus' time, in Jesus' day, li listen to me, when it came to living a life with God, there were a group of people who thought, you know what, they had everything figured out. This was a group of people that thought they had the party figured out. And second, they thought they knew who was invited to the party, and they also thought they knew who was going to be excluded from the party. And during that time, here's what I want you to hear, hear me say. During that time, there was a group of guys. Did you hear me? Not women. Guys, not gals. That everyone sort of looked to as the religious superstars of that day. 
I mean, I mean they were the, the Tiger Woods, the Mark Zuckerberg, the, the Elon Musk of the spiritual world of that day. And, and this group of people, they were the influencers. And, and they set the expectations of everybody else when it came to what living a life with God actually looked like. Because they were the ones, listen, they were the ones who thought they had the best idea when it came to living a life with God and what that looked like. They were the rule keepers. They were the rule makers. They were the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were like what I would call the spiritual elite of that day. I mean, like I said, if, if we were to equate them with people right now, it would be the Jeff Bezos, the Elon Musk, the Mark Zuckerberg of the spiritual world of that day and time. So when you think about that, and because of that, the average guy, when it came to spiritual things, they looked at the spiritual elite and they thought, you know what, I don't have any chance of attaining the robe and tassel status that those spiritual guys really have. So when it came to their thinking, the, the average guy looked at these spiritual elite, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they said, you know what, that's one party that I'll never get invited to. That's one life that I'll never be able to live. That, that, that's one list I'll never make. And those people who were the spiritual elite, that's the way they liked it. They loved people thinking that they could never be like them. And again, you think about it, the spiritual elite took great delight in making the average folks feel like they would never measure up so that they could get an invite to God's party. But then along comes this carpenter from Nazareth, a guy by the name of Jesus. And his cousin, John the baptizer, John the Baptist, had made this great statement about Jesus that said that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when John made this statement, the statement in and of itself just blew people's minds. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And, and what's interesting is, is shortly after the baptism of Jesus, Jesus immediately goes into ministry mode. And Jesus goes, Jesus goes around performing these amazing miracles. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, somebody who had a sore back and he makes them better. That's not the kind of miracle that Jesus was performing. Jesus was actually performing a miracle where the blind would see, the deaf would talk, the lame would walk again. I mean, these were really bona fide miracles. So because of the miracles that Jesus are uh, is performing uh, is our, whichever, again, I went to Lebanon High School, whichever, whichever way it is. Because of the miracles, people got really attuned and they were really starting to follow Jesus. They were captivated by the miracles that Jesus had performed. All of these amazing miracles that people had seen and heard about, this has People coming to see Jesus. We're not talking about 10 or 20 people coming to see, see Jesus. We're talking about hundreds and eventually thousands of Jesus who are following him because they have heard and or seen or experienced the very miracles. As a matter of fact, here's what it said in Matthew 4, verse 24. It says, news about him, about Jesus, had spread all about Syria, all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And what did he do? He healed them. So because of the miracles, I mean, immediately after he's launched into ministry mode, and because of the miracles... Jesus becomes like a magnet, and he's attracting more and more people. Look at what it says in verse 25. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, 
Judea and the region across the Jordan, they followed him. Now, here's the thing. As his fame grew, as his notoriety grew, the crowds grew. Crowds that numbered into the thousands were following Jesus. I, I, I mean, the Bible tells us, it gives us a story where people actually riffed, ripped the roof off of a building so that they could get into that building to see Jesus. I want you to look at the message that Jesus was bringing just before he launches into the Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew 4, verse 23. Here's what it says. Jesus went throughout the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. Look at what it says. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, now the key words there are the good news of the kingdom. When somebody says the kingdom, what do you naturally think about? I mean, you don't have to say it out loud, but think about it. When somebody says the good news of the kingdom, eventually when somebody talk, starts talking about the kingdom and equating that to the kingdom of God, naturally you and I immediately think of heaven. We think about the afterlife. We think about the kingdom of God. Once I die, what's going to happen to me in the afterlife? But Jesus teaches about something very different. Because Jesus teaches about a kingdom that was near. Jesus was talking about a kingdom where people could actually experience God right now in their circumstances. See, here's the thing. Listen, listen, listen. The message of Jesus was not about dying. The message of Jesus was about living. It was about going against the wind and living life in the kingdom right now. So one day, with, with the thousands of people following him, Jesus makes a decision. And he decides that he's going to go public as it relates to who's invited to this going against the wind party in his kingdom. Matthew chapter 5 begins like this. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him. That's the people following him. Now, listen, they came to him and he began to teach them. Now, here's what I want you to hear me say this morning. Remember, this is the crowd who had been following him. The crowd that had been following him was not the spiritual elite. This is not the who's who of the original of the, of the uh, religious world. That's not the that's not the people who were following Jesus. Instead, these are the people who are broken. These are the people who are distraught, the outsiders, the poor. This wasn't the sermon at the Opryland Hotel. This was the Sermon on the Mount. And it takes place on a hillside that's like this natural amphitheater that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And in that crowd, listen to me, were regular people. People like you and me. There were people there gathered with their blankets and their coolers and their Yeti cups. I mean, honestly, if you want to equate what was happening at the Sermon on the Mount, it's like going to Bonnaroo. It's the same kind of feeling. There were, there were people out on blankets. There were people out with their baskets. There were people with, with, with things, and they're there to listen to Jesus teach because they've experienced and they've heard and they've seen the miracles that Jesus has done. And we need to remember that this crowd is full of people that Jesus had already healed and people had already touched. These are the people who wanted to be in the kingdom. These are the people seated in front of Jesus that actually wanted to be invited to the party. But the question in their mind was this Am I going to be invited? Will I receive an invitation? 
do I qualify to go to the party? Probably not. Because I've never qualified before. They were afraid as they sat there and listened to Jesus start to teach that in his teaching that Jesus was actually going to set the spiritual bar even higher. So there was no way that they would ever get an invitation to the party that would, go the, that would, that would invite them into the kingdom of God. So you've got to understand, you have the teacher, you have Jesus, and you have the crowd that's gathered on that hillside over the Sea of Galilee. And between the teacher and the crowd, there's a tension that's starting to build because they don't understand what Jesus is about to teach. They're afraid that they're about to be pushed further away than invited in. And Jesus starts to teach. Now listen to me this morning. There was no introduction. There was no personal story. There was no joke. Jesus just starts to teach. And out of the mouth of Jesus comes the very first word. And that word is blessed. Blessed. See, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Because when you see that word behind me on the screen, when you, when you hear somebody say blessed, you naturally kind of associate blessed with being happy. It generally means happy. But, but here's the thing. When you and I use the word happy, you know, we can, we can think of something kind of trite. But, but, but those people who were listening to Jesus and out of his mouth comes the first word and the first word is blessed, they already understand. They already know that the word that Jesus has used, the word blessed, they know it means so much more. They know that I'm going to be able to live a life, a blessed life, which is richer and fuller and more fortunate. Because people who have a life that is blessed, those are the lives of these kind of people. It's fuller, it's richer, it's more fortunate. So when Jesus uses the word blessed to the people of that day and of that culture, it meant something different. It meant sacred delight. Sacred because it comes from God. Blessed means sacred because it comes from God. Delight because it's surprising. It's unpredictable. And here's what they knew. When Jesus utters that word blessed, here's what they knew. They knew that divine favor was about to fall on someone. Someone and their life is about to be blessed. So inside, naturally, they know who. Who's it going to be? Who's going to be invited to the party? Who is it that's going to get included in the kingdom of God? Now, now listen, Jesus looks into that crowd of people. And in that crowd of people are people that he has healed, people that he has touched. And Jesus makes, I think, a spiritual decision that he's going to use the people in the crowd, not as an illustration, but as an object lesson to help them understand who it is that's actually invited to the party. And what he's about to do will blow their minds. Because as he stands there, at the foot of this natural amphitheater. No doubt in my mind, he points to people. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. B blessed are the poor in spirit. He looked at the crowd. And, and, and he pointed to that person right there and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And here's the thing, as he said that, as he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, you know what would happen? A shockwave would have reverberated through that crowd. Because when Jesus refers to them as the poor in spirit, he's not referring to people who are down in the dumps. He's not referring to people who might have come to listen to him that afternoon that actually think they're junk. Listen to me this morning. Jesus didn't die for junk. Amen? He didn't die for junk. You have incredible worth. You have incredible significance to Jesus. But to be poor in spirit, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, it means that you humbly recognize your own spiritual poverty. And because of your own spiritual poverty, you have no alternative but to depend on God. Poor in spirit people are the people who reach into their pockets and when they find nothing, when they open their pockets or they pull them out like I'm doing mine, they find there's nothing there except maybe those little balls of lint. Poor in spirit people realize, spiritually speaking, I'm just broke. I'm just totally broke. Being poor in spirit really means that I recognize God's standard of holiness. And because of God's standard of holiness, I don't match up and I never will match up. I mean, think about it. You don't go to Walmart this afternoon and build a model car and take it down to Nissan in Spring Hill or Nissan in Smyrna and try to tell them that you're the next Elon Musk. You're the next Tesla. You don't build a paper airplane and take it to Boeing and tell them you're an expert at building an airplane. And you certainly can't boast, boast about your goodness in front of a holy, perfect God. And that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying to those, hey, hey, those of you in this crowd who don't think you're so hot spiritually, morally, ethically, Those of you who have lived a life, and, and in living your life, you've, you've, covered outside, you've colored outside the lines with your life. Those of you who have lived your life and you're like a rule breaker, who are spiritually broke, you're overdrawn, you're bankrupt. You've got a spiritual debt that you could never repay. The doors of the kingdom are wide open to you. You're invited. Come in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You may not be a model person. You may not be a model employee, a model student, a model parent, a model husband, or a model wife. But you're still invited to the party. And here's what's so ironic about the teaching that Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes. It's against the backdrop of the spiritual elite, the religious elite. Because those people who were the spiritual elite, they thought that in their religious pride, that they were good enough to get into God's kingdom by their own acts of righteousness and goodness. See, those people who were the religious elite, they would never admit that they are poor in spirit. So Jesus is saying to this crowd gathered there over the Sea of Galilee, the first step of happiness 
is for you to live your life. Go against the wind. It's counterintuitive. It's the opposite of what you think. It's humility. It's the people who can acknowledge that I'm not that great, that I'm not so hot. It's the people who can acknowledge their own spiritual brokenness. And here's the thing I think that Jesus did. I think that Jesus looked into that crowd. Jesus was looking around at this crowd. And he knew that this crowd knew that they didn't measure up. Because they had lived a life of shame and guilt and embarrassment. And Jesus looks at them and he says, hey, hey, you people. You people like that. You people who don't know your Bible. You, you people in this crowd right now who, who would die if somebody called you called on you to have to pray the prayer at the end of the service. He looks at you this morning and he says, it doesn't matter. You're still invited. Blessed are you. Because the kingdom of God belongs to you. Look at how the message version puts this first beatitude. Verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5. The message says it this way. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Because with less of you, there's more of God. Less pride. Humility. See, less pride, more God. And, and, and then maybe Jesus turned and and he saw somebody over in the crowd, and, and he noticed that that person had tears in their eyes. Someone who was in sorrow, somebody in grief. And maybe Jesus, gesturing with his finger, pointed at them and said, Blessed are you. Blessed are those who, who mourn, for they will be comforted. He looked into the crowd and he, and he saw somebody who was carrying the weight of the world. And he said to them, blessed are you who mourn, for you're going to be comforted in the kingdom. Maybe he looked into the crowd and he saw a, a wife who had lost her husband of 50 years. Parents who had buried a child. Somebody who was sad because they had given into sin, even though they knew they shouldn't do it, they did it anyway. They knew better, but they did it anyway. Maybe in that crowd that day as Jesus was looking at them, there were people who were so overwhelmed with sorrow that they couldn't hold back their tears. And as he looked at them, he knew that they felt like there was nothing in this world that would be able to comfort them because of their grief and their mourning and their sorrow. And Jesus extended an invitation to them. And he said, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to my kingdom. Where you are going to find comfort from a God who walks with you whatever circumstance you find yourself in. I want to invite you to my kingdom. And I want you to experience a God who turns mourning into dancing. I want you to experience a God who is a healing river and will meet you in your, in your mourning and in your sorrow and in your grief. He extended that invitation to those in that audience that were listening to him because he had their temperature, spiritually speaking. He could see it on their faces. He knew what they were walking through. He knew that for one reason or another, many of the people in his audience were broken. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember your first broken heart? I mean, think about it. Turn back the pages of your life. Do you remember your first broken heart? 
See, I'll tell you, I remember my first broken heart because it happened between the seventh and eighth grade. I was going to Emmanuel to church. And I saw the cutest short hair, dark hair girl, and I set my eyes on her. And her name was Cheryl. And you know what we did before long? I started talking to her. We had a, telephones back then that had a cord on them. And I would call her and I would talk to her. She lived over on West Spring Street. And I would talk to her all into the night. And before long, we started going together. I don't know if you do that anymore. I don't know, I don't know, what, I don't know what the protocol is now, but we were going together. I mean, that was a big deal. First girlfriend, Cheryl. I mean, I can see it right now. I, let, me, let, me, let me tell you something. I, di I didn't tell this in the first service because I told you my family's always in the first service, so I get a lot more open in the second service. We, we had gone to church camp, and on the way back from church camp, I'd never kissed a girl, but everybody on the bus kept just a kiss her, kiss her, kiss her, and I did, and somebody took a picture of it and put it on the church bulletin board. I mean, that was when you had to have to have picture developed. You know, I mean, it wasn't like we do now. It's not instant. But I mean, I was, I mean, for as much as a seventh or eighth grade kid can be, I was in love with her. But she dropped me for another guy. And you know what it did for a seventh or eighth grade boy? It broke my heart. That was my first broken heart. Do you remember your first broken heart? Or, or maybe I should ask you, do you remember the first time death made its way into your life? See, for most of us, it's kind of like that first love that we lost, you know, that 7th or 8th grade or whenever you, you know, started liking somebody. For most of us, the first time death made its way into our life is when we lost our first pet. We lost Frosty. That was my dog. I mean, he was Heinz 57. He was, you know, all kinds of different flavors. But he was my first dog. And I can take you to the very place that he's buried right now on the property that we used to own. Do you remember your first broken heart? Do you remember the first time that death made its way into your life? I mean, again, wouldn't it be, it's, wouldn't it be easy if all of our broken hearts were like our first love? And death was like the first pet that we lost. But see, the fact is simple. The older that we get, there are going to be worst heartbreaks in life. And that's just something that we learn. For some of you this morning, that heartbreak is when you heard the words, it's over. I just don't love you anymore. It's over. There are nine different words to describe grief in the Greek language. And the word that's used here for mourn in Matthew 5 verse 4 is the strongest Greek word of all. Again, when, when, we, when we see Jesus saying this in Matthew 5, and he says, blessed are those who mourn. The type of mourning that Jesus is talking about is actually a mourning where your whole body is involved. You're mourning to the point that your whole body begins to shake. I hear you, brother. I've got you. I'm on. He made me shake. Oof. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> and you cry. And your insides ache. That, that, let me tell you what that type of mourning is. It's that I've fallen and I can't get up type of mourning. It's that I've fallen and I can't get up type of grieving. And what Jesus is saying is that even those of you who are broken, 
You're invited to his party because when you come to his party, listen, you're going to be comforted. And Jesus is saying, he's not just saying that to the crowd that was gathered there on that hillside over the Sea of Galilee that morning. Let me tell you this morning, he's saying that to some of you right in this audience and some of you watching and listening online. I'll tell you what Jesus is saying to you this morning. I know that some of you right now are so overwhelmed with grief. Some of you are overwhelmed with sadness. You're so overwhelmed that you're fighting a battle just to hold back the tears. But that brokenness, that mourning that you feel over a broken heart or a personal loss, that mourning that you feel over a personal failure in your life. What Jesus is saying to you this morning is, listen, that thing that's happened to you can actually put you on a path to comfort. Jesus is saying to you this morning, like he said to that crowd, blessed, sacred delight. Listen to what he's saying. Sacred delight is about to make its way back into your life. You don't have to drink the problem away. You don't have to take pills to numb the pain. You don't have to go into a dark place to numb the pain. In fact, Nahum says it like this in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. Here's what he says. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Now, here's my question. Are you starting to see what was happening in that crowd that day? Jesus is using example after example to show that crowd that the the kingdom of God is not exactly what they thought it was. I mean, again, Jesus is blowing their minds when it comes to who is invited to the party. And let me tell you, it it, it includes those who are invited to the party. It includes everybody who has ever been broken. Because honestly, I can sum up this message in four words. And those four words are these. Blessed are the broken. That's this message in a nutshell. Dallas Willard wrote in his amazing book, The Divine Conspiracy. Listen to the words that he wrote as it relates to who's been invited to the party of Jesus. He said, blessed are the physically repulsive. Blessed are those who smell bad, the twisted, the misshapen, the deformed, the too big, the too loud, the too little, the bald, the fat, and the old. Because they're all righteously celebrated in the party of Jesus. Then there are the crushed ones, the flunk outs, the dropouts, the burned outs, the broken, the divorced, the HIV positive, and the herpes ridden, the brain damaged and the incurably ill, the terminally ill and the pregnant too many times or pregnant at the wrong time, the overemployed and the underemployed, the unemployed and the unemployable, the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced, the parent with children living on the street, the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved, the emotionally dead, and on and on and on it goes. It is true that earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Hold on to that. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. It is true. That is precisely the gospel of heaven's availability that comes to you and to me through the Beatitudes. Listen to me this morning, and I want you to hear me clearly. That's who's invited to the party. And since deep down, all of you in this room and all of you watching and listening online are broken, you know what that means? It means that you're invited. That everybody's invited. I'm invited, you're invited to experience that against the wind kind of life that's available in the kingdom. The question is, the invitation has been extended, will you come? 
will you come to the party? See, here's the thing. You don't have to wait until you're dead. You can experience the kingdom quietly in a personal relationship, a personal friendship with Jesus Christ. Because you see, here's the thing I'm going to tell you this morning. If, if you were in the crowd that day, maybe Jesus would look personally into your eyes. And he would see you. And he would see your circumstances. And he would say to you, blessed are you. Blessed are you who lost your job last year. Blessed are you who are working so hard to, to make your blended family work. And blessed are you who just lost the, the biggest deal that you've ever been able to work up in your life. Blessed are you whose future looks so uncertain and so unpredictable. Blessed are you who are so anxious when it comes to your body and body image issues. And you wonder if everybody, if anybody's ever going to love you the way that you are. Or if a spouse will ever come your way. Blessed are all of you because the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Blessed are those of you who are raising five children. You're trying to be a parent and you're trying to be a spouse. And at times you would just admit it just almost wears you down. Blessed are you who closed your business last year because of COVID-19. And closing that business almost devastated you. Blessed are you who thought about ending your life but you chose to hang on with just a sliver of faith because the kingdom of God is present with you in your pain. The kingdom of God is ready to comfort you. Look at how the message puts the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 verse 4. It says, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You want to hear something that's pretty amazing to me? The one who knows you the most. The one who has the ability to count the very hairs on your head or the hairs that you don't have on your head. The one who holds the tears that you've shed in a jar. That's the one that loves you the most. I mean, think about it. The God who knows your every word, every action, every thought. That's the one who loves you the most. He loves you so much that he gave his life for you on the cross. Rose from the dead so that he could have a relationship with you. So that you could come to the party in this life and in the kingdom to come where there is no brokenness and heartbreak and pain. No mourning and no tears. That's why you need Jesus Christ in your life. Not because you're going to die tonight, because probably you're not going to die tonight. But you need Jesus Christ in your life today because you've got to live a life tomorrow. Would you just bow your heads all across this room with me, please? And let me ask you, what, what is God saying to you today? How are you going to respond to what God has said? Because here's the thing, I hope that as I pray, you'll give that lots of thought. When it comes to the words of Jesus that go against the wind. 
if you're broken and you know it, then why don't you just pray, God, I finally realized that you're always with me. You know and you see me and you care. And your presence with me, it comforts me. Maybe you just need to tell God that you've been reluctant to turn your brokenness over to Him. Maybe right where you're seated, whether it's in this auditorium or at home, maybe you just need to pray, God, I'm sorry for my sins against you. And today, in humility, emptying my pride, I give it all to you. Because through the grace of Jesus Christ, I want to live a life that goes against the wind. God, all across this room and really all across this country are people as people are joining us online. We want to live a life where we experience your kingdom. Not just in the life to come, but in this life. And that invitation has been extended to us today words of Jesus that are found in the Beatitudes. We're all broken. We're all in need of a Savior. And God, we're so thankful that you sent your one and only Son to die on a cross, to be buried in a tomb, to be resurrected on the third day so that we could experience your kingdom in this life and in the next. Every head bowed, every eye closed, the invitation has been extended to you. The question for you is, will you accept the invitation? Are you going to attend the party of God? That's done by simply recognizing Jesus as who he says he is. Your Savior, the author, the finisher of your faith. It's taking and looking at your life and realizing that alone you are nothing. You are broken and that you need a Savior. It's receiving him as your savior and what was done on the cross on your behalf. It's praying a prayer right where you are. It's taking action. Turning from a life of sin. Receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and looking to him for the direction that you need. Simply pray that prayer right where you are here in this room, at home, in your car, wherever it is. Knowing that God goes before you and behind you and that his hand rests upon you and that he will be there in every circumstance to walk with you and to comfort you. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the beautiful words of Jesus. As we ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Church, we want to sing a blessing over you, you and your families. So if you feel comfortable, just lift up your hands and just receive this blessing that we're going to sing over you this morning.
children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you in a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you in a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children. Choice.